Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. My favorite issues of Mark Halpern's daily wide world of news are the not real Ron Klain memos, and he treats us to one today in the aftermath of election night last night. It's really great, and it begins this way. It is, of course, a memo to J.R.B. from Ron Klain. Subject line, what's next, question mark. You must be exhausted after that flight and landing after midnight, so I will keep this brief. You have no public events today, but we might look for an opportunity to trot you out to make a lighthearted remark about the shellacking. This is Mark Halpern. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for being here. You know, I don't know if we designed it that you would be here on Wednesdays so that we get you after elections, but man, oh man, am I thrilled to have you here today. Glad to be here. Election nights are always fascinating. Uh, They're, you know, great sport, but they also tell you a lot about the mood of the country. So um, good to be able to discuss it with you and your listeners. If Ron Klain is not cutting and pasting your memos, he really should be because they're brilliant. (laughs) They really are. They're, they're, it's such a great overview of what's going on. And on a day like today, you know, in Virginia, uh, I liked the fact that you embedded the Kamala Harris audio from four days ago. The RNC eager to put it out. What happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022 and 24 and thereafter. Did she get that right when Kamala Harris said that the path would be established in yesterday's election? Well, what's just the vice president? You know, James Carville sent out a bunch of fundraising emails uh, for Terry McAuliffe that said, you know, everything's on the line in Virginia. It's doom if we lose. And they really didn't leave themselves the opportunity to say, as, as parties do after they lose a big election, to kind of spin it and say, oh, it's about local issues, has no national implications. They, they, were, they were all in on saying this mattered, which is a little strange because they knew they might lose. And, and some Democrats worried they might lose big. So it was an interesting choice. I don't remember a party going quite all in on something like this, uh, but now they're going to have to figure out how to explain it. Uh, and, and there's already finger pointing the White House, blaming McAuliffe, McAuliffe, blaming National Democrats. But to, to a large extent, uh, uh, there's a consensus uh, on a lot of this, uh, what, what happened and why, and, and, and the implications, which if Democrats can't turn things around and the midterms are a year away, uh, history suggests that this may well foreshadow the exact uh, uh, prediction of Vice President Harris, which is what happens in Virginia will not stay in Virginia. I wonder if McAuliffe this morning, as he's licking his wounds, 
is regretting, I'll use your words, going all in with the surrogates. Maybe he had no choice, but in retrospect, it seems like Yunkin on the bus solo was an effective uh, antidote to bringing in Obama, bringing in Biden, bringing in Harris, bringing in Stacey Abrams. Yeah. Well, look, one reason I think he brought those people in was to build crowds, um, because when McAuliffe did events by himself, he was drawing far fewer people than Youngkin. And, and crowd size is not always determinative, but one of the reasons I thought Youngkin had a good chance to win was he was clearly generating more excitement, more intensity, uh, as, as manifested in, in, in turnouts to events. So bringing those people in helped. I'll tell you, two people who didn't come in for Terry McAuliffe were, were kind of his political patrons, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Right. Uh, and, and one of the kind of human themes and, and, and subplots here is Terry McAuliffe wanted to be president. I think his expectation was he'd win this race and then be positioned to run maybe as early as 2024. Hard to see a route to the White House now for him. And the fact that the, uh, Barack Obama came in, uh, Stacey Abrams came in, the vice president came in, and the Clintons didn't tells you a lot about their place in the party and, and, and what this, you know, whether this is in some ways their final political chapter. So I don't know that Virginia is all that much of a shock for people who are paying close attention. Robert Cahaley, by the way, was on this program yesterday and said he had Yunkin by 2.3 before coming on air. When I looked at the margin, it was Yunkin by 2.1. That's pretty damn good. But New Jersey, Mark, what about New Jersey? What do you make of New Jersey, regardless of where it ends up? Yeah, regardless of where it ends up, and right now you have to say that Governor Merkin, the Democratic incumbent, is probably in a better position to win, given how close it is and where the outstanding vote is left to be counted. But I think it's reasonable, as others have said, to, to suggest that the New Jersey result is in some ways more cautionary, more ominous for Democrats than, than what happened in, in Virginia, uh, because in the New Jersey race, the, the Republican challenger really didn't have the same visibility, didn't have the same uh, cash uh, on hand the, the way Youngkin did because he's, he's put a lot of his own money in the race, didn't have the same support from the National Party. So what happened in, in, in New Jersey somewhat organically was a lot of voters came out and and voted Republican for all the reasons that Democrats are now worried, that, that the Democratic establishment, the Democratic status quo, uh, the Democrat uh, being in charge of government uh, is something a lot of voters have turned against. So We'll see who wins, but but Republican Democrats are not going to look at a Murphy narrow Murphy win as some sort of salvation. They see the the writing on the wall from that race very much the same as they see what in what happened in Virginia. When I came on air today, I said that the winner in Virginia and New Jersey was Joe Manchin. I thought that it was a vindication of the press conference that he had on Monday, questioning again the price tag of the Build Back Better plan. And to me, it says they should have and still should pass the $1.2 trillion traditional roads, bridges, broadband infrastructure bill. Put this now in the context of national events and the Biden agenda. How do you see it? Yeah, well, certainly I agree with you that, that for both the good of the country and for the political good of the president and his party, that he's long ago should have passed not just the infrastructure bill, but the China competitiveness bill that the Senate has also passed that is sitting in the House. Uh, and could get to the president's desk in a day, and he could sign it. Uh, it's unclear what will happen, and and we'll see as the day progresses whether we get more clarity. I think it's obvious uh, from what we've already heard that the president, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, their reaction to this is to say, let's move the agenda through. What voters want is to see action. We've got a popular agenda, and you know they believe, and, and let's get it all passed. Easier said than done, 
because because the mansion wing of the party, as you suggested, is going to say you know pretty much the opposite, which is we got to pass an agenda that actually will be unifying and popular. Let's pass the infrastructure bill, and let's let's think about what we want to do in, in terms of the, the the Build Back Better agenda, some of the entitlement spending and and, and environmental spending. I really don't know how it's going to end up. I, I've I've always thought that both bills, if they were going to pass, would pass in December, uh, in terms of final passage. Uh, and I, I don't see any reason to change that based on what happened. I do think this is going to kind of freeze the field on both sides, uh, both the progressive side and the moderate side, as they try to figure out whether those who think the, the, what they need to do in reaction to what happened in, on, on Election Day is to pass things. Does, it, does this really make it easier? Or or do the two sides dig in on, you know, there are a lot of remaining issues. They still have to figure out what to do about immigration, taxes, some health care issues, prescription drugs. There's some progress on those fronts, but there's no final deals, and, and, and there's still no clarity in my mind about how they get to final deals. And, if, if, you know, if those who think the election results make, make the, the path forward clearer, I just I don't see it that way. I have a, uh, a flashback to the McKay-Coppins piece where he quotes candidate Donald Trump at a time when we were all laughing about that prospect and saying, what does Halpern think? What does Halpern think? I'm sure you remember what I'm talking about. What does what does Halpern think this all means for Trump? Well, the Washington Post reports this morning that Trump and Youngkin directly had been, have spoken quite a bit. Uh, I, I reported yesterday that the staffs have been talking quite a bit. And uh, one of the remarkable things about Youngkin is Donald Trump was cheering for his victory, and the the, the moderate uh, anti-Trump Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, was cheering for Youngkin's win. So, so Youngkin has united, you know, the the, the, the wings of the Republican Party, and and what Youngkin showed is uh, is that if you can unite, uh, bring together the the MAGA base, the Trump base, the party in rural areas and non-college educated voters, along with suburban voters, you can win an election that, that you're not favored to win. I think Trump showed remarkable discipline. He did pretty much exactly what the Youngkin campaign wanted, and that was based on close communication, which I think other campaigns, Republican campaigns, now we're going to try to replicate. You know, one of the many elements of, of Youngkin's successful playbook that they'll try to replicate. And we'll see now if Trump's if what Trump takes from this is, you know, let's talk less about the past and particularly the 2020 election. And let's talk more about these issues, particularly things like education and, and, and vaccine mandates that um, that really energize Republican voters. Uh, I don't know what he'll do, but I think those who believe Trump is an old dog who can't learn new tricks, he clearly behaved in this race in a way different than he had in close consultation with a candidate who saw uh, the, the, the need to have less of Trump. Uh, in the in the ether rather than more. And we'll see if Trump can keep that up and whether that might apply to other midterm races. But Mark, that coalition is, is powerful. Mark, I agree with you. I was really surprised by the level of restraint that Trump exhibited. And when when mm-hmm. last weekend he started talking about the teller rally and, you know, I'll see you in Alexandria soon and so forth. I thought, boy, he's just not going to be able to rein himself in. But yep. to your point, he did. Yeah, but but don't but don't I think we shouldn't go too far in saying he didn't play a role. Part of the way Youngkin won, if you look at the if you look at the map, is he actually outperformed Trump in some of those rural areas, uh, and that's how he won. He held down his his margins of defeat in in the northern Virginia suburbs of D.C., but he really did well in those suburban in those rural areas, and that happened 
in part because Trump really did try to engage his base. And that's what, you know, Mitch McConnell, for instance, as, as troubled as he is by, uh, you know, Trump's presence in the, in the, at the top of the Republican Party, he knows they need Trump voters to win the Senate races next year. And you look at states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, Missouri, um, Arizona, North Carolina, where, where there's competitive Senate races, it's going to be imperative if the Republicans are going to win those and have a chance to win back control of the Senate that Trump voters be super engaged. And that requires Trump. So whether Trump can, can replicate his role uh, is, is not clear. But I think for Republicans who are trying to figure out how do they, how do they handle Trump in 2022, Youngkin gave them just a great, a great thing, a great template to say support uh, you know, his agenda, be different stylistically, but, you know, don't piss him off. Don't get him angry. Don't don't get him the way he was in Georgia, kind of crosswise with the goals of the party. Hey, you said that you suspect McAuliffe wanted himself to run for president of the United States. Does mm-hmm. Yunkin immediately become a person of national stature that folks will discuss as a potential yeah. candidate? You know, I hate making predictions. I, I will predict that he will give the State of the Union response for the Republicans. Uh, you did say that in the news, in the Ron, in the yeah. not Ron Klain <laughs> memo. You yeah. did say that. Um, yeah. But what um, do you think? Yes, he will. He will. He will be talked about as a presidential candidate for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very able guy, and and um, as as everybody or not everybody, but lots of people know, Virginia has a unique system. You're, you're term limited. You can only serve one term consecutively, and so. You know, right now, you know, does he want to be a senator? Does he want to go back to private sector? Who knows? But he will be talked about a presidential candidate. He will be very sought after as a surrogate uh, for Republicans in the midterms. He will inspire. I bet he gets lots of calls, particularly from business people who are thinking of running in 2022, which will allow him to build up some chits and relationships around the country. So I don't know that he ever will run for president. But even before even before uh, he won, one of uh, someone I know who knows Youngkin quite well said, to me kind of rhetorically if glenn wins this race why wouldn't he be considered a, a candidate if trump doesn't run in 2024 or or beyond so last night somebody suggested to me maybe trump would pick him as his running mate i doubt he would do that i don't think trump wants a running mate if he runs who might overshadow him in some ways but uh but youngkin is uh is uh is is for a first-time candidate ran very well made very few mistakes and i think uh he will certainly be talked about until until unless he took himself out uh, he'll be talked about as a presidential candidate and, for and, sure. And finally, Mark, city question two in Minneapolis failed. Shall the Minneapolis city charter be amended to remove the police department and replace it with a department of public safety, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, any surprise on your part that this ballot initiative failed in the location where George Floyd was killed? Now, everyone I know who lives in the Twin Cities uh, is, regardless of race or age or anything else, uh, is is been very freaked out by the rise in crime in that city. Uh, people people cast this as a loss for the Democrats and progressives. I think it's actually in the medium and long term a win for them because had that passed, the party would have had a, a trouble shaking off the image that some voters have of them that support defunding the police, which, as you know, is not particularly popular with the kind of voters who decide who wins American elections. A curiosity. Every one of the not real Ron Klain memos ends with "Let's talk after your workout." Does he indeed work out every day? And if so, what what does that regimen consist of? If you know, my understanding is he does work out uh, pretty often. Uh, I'm not sure it's every day, uh, but um, he lifts weights uh, and he does some cardio. And uh, he is 
he is uh, you know dedicated to it. And if 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 you're like uh, me and Joe Biden and you like to eat ice cream, you have two choices: you can eat the ice cream and not exercise, or you can exercise and then eat the ice cream. And I think that's the presidential path for this president. Yeah, that makes three of us. By the way, throw throw, <laughs> throw in the booze, and you've got my number, Mark. That was no, excellent. He doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't drink, so he's right. He well, and, and he and he said that to the Pope, didn't he? Didn't he say I'm the yeah. only Irishman you've met who who doesn't drink? He did. The president likes to peddle Irish stereotypes. I stay away from him. <laughs> he, feels, he feels free to do them, and, uh, and uh, that's his prerogative. Mark, that was awesome. Thank you so, so much. Everyone Michael, great sh- to talk to you. Everyone should subscribe, as I do, to the wide world of news. These are the sort of insights I get each and every morning. Thank you, Mark. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete. And getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.